Aren't you glad that he came for you? Aren't you glad that it's not about the presence, but it's about his presence? And uh, I've been reminding myself and my children, it's great to have presence, but the greatest present you can have is Christ's presence in your life. So today we're going to go back to the first Christmas. I've entitled this message, The First White Christmas. And you can imagine some 2,000 years ago what that was like. You know, most birth occurrences are at a hospital. All four of my children were born at Mission. So far we haven't, we almost had one born in a car, but thankfully it didn't happen. Um, I'm not prepared for that yet. <laughs> but uh, we're, we, we entered into the text in Luke 2, and we find it intriguing that Jesus wasn't born in a palace, nor was he born in an ordinary situation, but he was born where the animals are. He was born in a manger, that is a feeding trough. So in this text, um, I want to ask you guys a question that may be a little different spin on Christmas. Is there any room for Jesus in your inn? Is there any room for him in the prominent places of your life? Um, my Christmas morning started off uh, kind of exciting. Lori and I drug out of bed. We had stayed up till after 10 o'clock last night putting together trampoline for the kids. You know how it comes in those little small parts. And I'm like, Lori, we're going to get this somehow. If I don't get it tonight, John's coming over tomorrow. And he'll help me put it together. But she's like, we're going to get it done tonight. So with dark bags under my eyes and a little tired from preaching the night, last night, we worked and worked and finally got it together. And it was about 1030 and um, everything was silent in the hot house because we had all passed out. And then we got up early in the morning. We were getting things ready. And we had the kids' room barricaded so that whenever they would get out, they wouldn't go straight to the presence. We wanted to have the cameras ready, um, video footage. And we wanted them, as soon as they got out, to be able to see the trampoline. And sure enough, they got in and jumped up and down, and that was really exciting. But I think the greatest gift for them is to see what God's doing in their lives. It's not the things under the tree. It's, it's becoming something special in Christ. It's seeing God do his work of grace. And I, that's my prayer for you guys, that I want you guys to enjoy all the presents. But the greatest presents are eternal, the ones that God gives us. And I'm thankful to God for all of you, and I'm thankful for this church. It's, it's a, quite a loving family, amen? A 17th century poet said, Though Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if he's not born in thee, thy soul is still forlorn. I love that. If he's born a thousand times, but if he's not born in you, your soul is still empty. Let's, let's look at Luke chapter 2. And the little good news before the good news is I'm going to try to have you guys out before too long. Last night we set a record service of 55 minutes and everyone is happy they got out in time for dinner. So we're going to try to get you guys out in time for Christmas lunch. So starting in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree from Caesar Augustus went out that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Verse 4 says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And by the way, a little side note, uh, in a walking journey, it's about 90 miles from where they started in Nazareth to Bethlehem. Can you imagine ladies being pregnant 
you know, perhaps eight, nine months pregnant and walking 90 miles or donkey, whatever it was. That's still a long ways to be pregnant. Uh, so I, I can imagine the arduous journey they were on. Uh, continue on in verse 5. To be registered with his Mary, his betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, notice it says while they were there. A lot of Christmas uh, movies you see, they were on the way and she's having the baby right then. The scripture, uh, regardless of uh, our Christ, Christ, Christmas culture, it says they were already there in the town before she started having labor. So sorry to dispel a lot of movies, but uh, they were already there. The days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Father, we thank you for this first white Christmas, the, the Christmas when Jesus came and not white with snow, but he came so that we could be forgiven and have purity of heart. So, Father, we ask and pray that you would speak to us from your word and that you would help us to see maybe a little different understanding of this Christmas story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about, is there room for Jesus in your inn? And something I, I never knew growing up, and I never knew until I, I really studied this passage, was when it says there is no room for them in the inn, a lot of times we think about the Holiday Inn, you know, this big hotel. And researching, I didn't know this, but did you know Bethlehem at this time was probably only 200 or 300 people? Small town. So most likely... If you look at the original Greek word in this, the word inn doesn't refer to a big hotel, but most likely it's like a family house. And the word inn means guest lodging and no guest space. So here's probably what happened, most likely. Um, most likely it wasn't some innkeeper that shooed them off and said, get out of here. We don't really see that in the Bible. Sorry to blow a, a Christmas classic that we see from the movies. But most likely what happened, because this is Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem, they stayed probably at a family's house. And because all the people were coming to be registered with the Roman taxation, the Roman census, um, this house was packed out so that there was no guest space available. And ladies, I want to talk to you for a second. If you were about to give birth to a baby, would you want a little privacy or would you want to give birth right where all the guests are at? I mean, wouldn't that be awkward? Usually in most hospital rooms even, you're like, okay, just immediate family because we don't want the whole family reunion right here during the birthing station. So this Christmas narrative, the inn most likely refers to a guest lodging space. So Jesus was born where they kept the animals. And it says there was a manger, a feeding trough. Which when you look at it, it's like, okay, that, that's very bizarre that he was born where the animals are. And I would say yes. But who did Jesus first appear to? You guys can respond this Sunday. What is it? Shepherds. So for the shepherds, when the angels have said that the Messiah is going to be born in a feeding trough where your sheep eat out of, the same type of feeding trough, it was a natural occurrence for them to show up and Jesus met them where they were at. So even though they weren't born in the best, Jesus wasn't born in a palace or in a hospital or in a nice arrangement, it shows us that God meets us exactly where we're at. Aren't you glad for that? That's the whole message of Christmas. But today I want to take it from a different place. Um, I want the end to refer to your life as the prominent place. The guest room in your house is usually the prominent where you want your special guests to stay. And since Jesus didn't stay in the special place, he stayed where the animals were. 
I want to ask you the question, what are some reasons that are keeping you from having Jesus in the prominent places in your life? So I want to give five reasons why, as Christians and as non-Christians, five reasons why many of us don't put Jesus center in our life. The first one is this, and this is on your listening guide if you want to follow along. The first reason many people in today's culture give is I'm too busy to focus on spiritual things. I'll have enough time when I get older to give my life to Christ. The, the problem with that is the Bible says you or I are not promised tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. And I don't want to give any scary stories about people that said I'll put it off and then they didn't have tomorrow. But I will give you a story of a man that I had the opportunity to lead to Christ this year. He was in his 70s. He was a doctor. Um, did very well in the business realm, but basically he put God off until the end of his life. And um, we were talking, and one of the other gentlemen brought up a question about being saved, and the guy said, what do you mean be saved? It's like, and I'm like, you never heard about being saved? And he's like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, well, being saved means that you admit that you need forgiveness. And he said, well, I'm not a sinner. And I'm like, okay, so we've got to start on base one. And I said, well, have you ever lied before? Well, yeah. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Well, uh, you know, he didn't want to go there. But once I once told him that being a sinner doesn't mean you're as horrible as you could be, it just means you've missed the mark. You're in need of forgiveness. And I explained the good news like a, a simple child could understand. And in his 70s, he prayed to receive Christ. But see, what if he didn't have tomorrow? What if his opportunity never came? We're not promised tomorrow so a lot of times we'll say I'll, I'll i'll focus on that when i get older we don't know scripture says in second corinthians 6 it says we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of god in vain for he says an acceptable time i have heard you and the day of salvation i've helped you behold now is the acceptable time behold now is the day of salvation so in this christmas season and the hustle and bustle of the christmas season I want us just to take a moment to reflect, are we where we need to be with God? The second reason people give of why they don't put Jesus in a prominent place, why there's no room for them and they're in, is number two, I just want to have a little fun before turning my life around. There's a problem with that, is just having a little fun, it, it's, it's a temporary trip on the short-lived ship of life. Fun doesn't last for very long. Even if you live to be a hundred Eventually, you still die. So this excuse really doesn't last. We've got to live in view of eternity. And I wonder, this first Christmas story, I wonder how many people said, you know, this Messiah thing is great, but right now I just want to live for now. And how many in today's world just want to live for this present world? The problem is, the Bible says in 1 John 2, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. says these things are passing away. And it says, but he who does the will of God lives forever. I don't know about you, but fun for season or living with God and having fun for eternity. I'm going to choose eternity. The third reason why we don't have room for Jesus in or in and the prominent places of our life is, well, I just have more important things to focus on right now than Jesus. A few weeks ago, we talked about the wise men that came from the east. And most people, most scholars think they came from Persia, Babylon, that area. And if you measure it out, it's about 800 or more miles away. Now, can you imagine making an 800-mile trip to see Jesus? 
And we see that the people in Jerusalem, it was about a six-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And we have some people that are willing to make 800-mile trip to see Jesus, and the religious leaders of his day weren't even willing to make a six-mile walk to see if this is really Messiah. And I think that's tragic. But what about us in our life today? A lot of times we say, well, you know, I just want to focus on my career. And once I get my career established, then I'll focus on Jesus. Or, you know, kids, I'm just too busy. I know I'm a father of four. I could easily use busyness as an excuse to put God on the back burner. But what about Christmas? What about realizing that Christmas gives us an opportunity to refocus on those things that really matter? The Savior, the one who came to save us from our sins. Amen? The fourth reason why we don't put Jesus in the prominent places in our life, and this is what unbelievers really give, is I simply don't believe Jesus as the only way of salvation. How many of you ever heard this excuse before? Everybody that lives in Asheville has heard this excuse. I don't think Jesus is the only way. Well, can we talk about it for a second? How many of you sent out a Christmas postcard this year? Anybody? Okay, how many of you got a Christmas postcard? Those of you who didn't send them out. Okay. Have you ever sent out a postcard that got bounced back to you? What's usually the reason for that? Okay, you didn't put postage. Postage wasn't paid. Or the wrong address. So for the people that say, well, anyway, we'll eventually lead to God, you know, as long as you're sincere, that's like me saying, I'm going to send a card over here to Brother Dan, and I'm going to put whatever address I want. As long as I'm sincere, that's going to end up in his mailbox. Survey says, no, right. Well, let me take it on a personal level. Let's say, let's say your name is Bob, or your name is Susan, whatever your name is, and let's say I'm going to make up a name for you, and if I'm sincere about it, Would you get offended if I kept calling you the wrong name over and over again? So the answers from the world that you can just be sincere and whatever God, whatever name you want to use, it's going to work. That just doesn't fly in logic. It doesn't fly in life. Jesus, later on in the book of John, he said, I'm I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. So, you know, many of us think that there are other ways, but Jesus, he said he's the only way. And if we really believe that his... His, his response is true. We have to, we have to believe it. Um, I, I read this by John MacArthur. I thought it was really cool. It says, next time it will be different. The first time Jesus came, he came veiled in the form of a child. A star marked his arrival. Wise men brought him gifts. There was no room for him. Only a few attended his arrival. The next time Jesus comes, he will be recognized by all. Heaven will be lit with his glory and he will bring rewards for his own. The world won't be able to contain his glory. Every eye will see him, and he will come as sovereign king and lord of all. The fifth reason, and I think this is the most popular reason, is, have you ever heard people say, well, how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever heard that? How could a good God allow bad things to happen? Well, I think Christmas, if we just look at the first white Christmas, if we just look at Jesus' arrival, it tells us something. I want to read this to you. This is a parable or an allegory I never saw before until this Christmas, and it really struck a chord with me. I'm going to read it to you. It says, At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Some of the groups near the front talked 
repeatedly, not with cringing shame before God's throne, but with embittered belligerence. How can God judge us? How can he know about suffering, snapped a brunette, jerking his sleeve to reveal a tattoo from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. And another group, a black gentleman, lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing the rope burns. Lynch for no crimes, but simply for my skin color. We've suffered, we've been suffocated in slave ships, been wretched from loved ones, and toiled only till death gave us release. Hundreds of such groups were visible across the plain. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky God was, they all seemed to agree. Able to live in heaven where all is sweetness and light without weeping, without fear of hunger or hatred. Indeed, what does God know about man? What does God know about being forced to endure trials of life? After all, God leads a pretty sheltered life. So each group sent out a leader. Chosen because he had suffered the most. There was a Jew. There was a black. There was an untouchable from India. A person who was illegitimate. A person from Hiroshima. And others who had tasted life's bitterest dregs. At last they were ready to present their case. It was rather simple. Before God would be qualified to be their judge. He must endure what they endured. They proclaimed. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. But... Because he was God, they set certain safeguards to be sure that he would not use his divine power to help himself. They laid out this case. Let him be a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be questioned. Let him be a champion of a cause so just, so radical, that it brings upon him all the hate, condemnation, and destructive attacks of political and religious authorities. Let him be indicted on false charges, trialed before a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it was to be terribly alone and completely abandoned by every living being. Let him be tortured and let him die. And let his death be humiliating. And let it take place beside common criminals while he is jeered at, mocked at, and spit upon. As every leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the great throng of people. But suddenly... After the last one had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly, all recognized the stark reality. God had already served his sentence. Now, when I read that, it really brought to light the birth story. That humanity no longer can say that God doesn't understand. That God doesn't understand the suffering and the plights of humanity. Because he did. He came. And he lived a perfect life. And even though he had done no wrong, he gave his life for you and I. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? God becoming man so that he could take the punishment for us all. So here's the solution. I gave five reasons why you and I, at different stages in our life, we push Jesus to the periphery. We let him stay on the outskirts of our life. We don't put him center stage. Even for us, we we may feel bad that there was no room for Jesus in the end that first Christmas day. But how many of us, there's no room inside of us. We put Jesus out. And some of us, he's not in our lives at all. So here's the solution. Give Jesus the master key of your life and let Jesus into your end. One of my favorite Christmas stories that 
um, I share is, is a parable about this wealthy artist. He had only one son, and they would often pick up great pieces of art from Picasso's to Da Vinci's, and they, they, they collected this huge assortment of art. And one day the son went off to war, and in the process of battle, he got shot through the heart and died trying to rescue another soldier. So it was the month of Christmas, and the father, he was so torn up about his son, hearing that he's not going to spend Christmas with his son this year. And all of a sudden, he got a knock on his door, and he opened the door, and it was the soldier that his son rescued. And in the process of rescuing, he, got, he laid down his life. And he said, sir, I know it's getting Christmas time, and I don't want to bother you, but I am the soldier that your son rescued. Your son gave his life for me, and while he was rescuing me, he got shot through the heart. But I painted a picture of your son. I'm not a great painter. I can't paint like Raphael or Michelangelo or any of those guys. But I painted a picture of your son, and I wanted you to have it. So that the father was just so moved to tears that he put the, the, the picture of the son on his mantle, showed all his friends. Within a few months later, the father two passed away of a broken heart. And they had an auction for all the estate of all the pictures. And all these wealthy merchants came from near and far to place their bid to try to get the best pictures there were. And the first picture that was on sale was the picture of the sun. And the auctioneer started off and said, who will make the first bid on the sun? And nobody answered. They said, we want the Picassos, the Raphaels, the Da Vinci's. We don't, let, let's, go, let's go after the, the good stuff. And the auctioneer persisted and said, we're going to start with the sun. After a long period of silence, the gardener who sat in the back said, I'll give $100. And he said, anybody going to take the sun? Anybody going to build, bid more on the sun? Silence. And finally he said, going once, going twice, sold to the gardener in the back. See, the gardener knew the son, and he wanted to have that memory of him in his house. And all of a sudden, the whole crowd said, all right, let's get on with the masters. Let's get on with the great paintings. And the auctioneer laid down his gavel and said, the auction is closed. And the people were irate. They were so upset. And he said, before you guys get upset, let me tell you one stipulation. The, the father that owned all this estate gave one private stipulation. And he said, whoever has the son gets it all. So he awarded the gardener the entire art collection. And he said, whoever has the son gets it all. And I think that's the solution this Christmas. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of you got great gifts. Some of you, you have great sorrow this Christmas, and my heart breaks with you. But the good message I want to give you this Christmas is if you have the son, you have it all. If you don't have the Son, even if you have it all, you leave the world with nothing. So the greatest gift I could offer you this Christmas is the Son. And for those of you who say, well, Timothy, I already have the Son. Well, what I want to encourage you is, is he in a prominent place in your life? Or is he where the, where the animals are? Is he on the outskirts of your life? Have you given Jesus priority in your life? Let us pray together. Father, the first Christmas, there was no room for Jesus in the inn. There was no room for him in the guest place. And Father, my heart, oh God, 
is I don't want to squeeze out anything that has to do with Jesus. So, Lord, forgive me and for all the believers in here where we have pushed Jesus out because we're too busy, we have other things going on. Help us this Christmas to refocus and make Jesus the priority. And if there be one here today, I would say, Timothy, you know, I know all about this Jesus thing, but I've never... I've never surrendered my life, and maybe it was one of the excuses we gave. Well, is Jesus really the only way? Why did bad things happen? And I hope today that this Christmas story showed you that Jesus loves you right where you're at. With no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, I want to receive the greatest gift ever this Christmas, a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. No one looking around. This Christmas, I want to pray to receive Jesus. If that's you, just in your own words, just say, Jesus... I'm sorry for putting it off so long, for using excuses to push me away from you. But this morning, Jesus, this Christmas morning, I want to invite Jesus to be born into my heart, to my life. Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Father, we give thanks for your goodness and for your grace. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we're going to take up our offering for ushers who come forward. And as we take up our offering, um, I wanted to give you a few things to think about. May the Christmas gifts remind you of God's greatest gift, His Son. May the Christmas candles remind us of Him who is the light of the world. May the Christmas trees remind us of another tree upon which Jesus died. May the Christmas cheer remind us of him who said, be of good cheer. May the Christmas feast that we're getting ready to have remind us of the bread of life. May the Christmas bells remind us of the proclamation of his birth. May the Christmas carols remind us of what the angels sang, glory to God in the highest. And may this Christmas season remind us in every way of Jesus Christ, our King. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your love. We thank you for this Christmas season. And Father, as we give of our gifts or tithes and offerings, we just pray that you would bless the gift and the giver. And that in all things you would be glorified. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.